Hi, everyone. I'm Brene Brown, and this is Unlocking Us. We are back for part two of a reader and audience Q&A on Atlas of the Heart on the book and the HBO show. If you listened to part one, hard AF questions. I mean, oh my God, these questions are hard and I don't have all the answers, which I love because that means I get to learn more, which is fun. I'm with my sisters, Ashley and Barrett. Y'all know Ashley and Barrett. Ashley runs the internship program here. She's a clinician and she oversees the Daring Way community. And Barrett is the newly newly titled co-CEO of Brene Brown Education and Research Group. And we're going to jump into these questions. Before we jump, I want to remind you that I'm going on sabbatical. And this is the last podcast till September. Do you remember? I can't sing that. Probably can't sing more than that. Otherwise, I'm going to owe somebody a lot of money. Yeah, we're doing a collective rest and restoration. Everybody, me, the team, We're going to take some deep breaths. We're going to... Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Find that space between stimulus and response that gets collapsed on so easy. And we'll miss you. We'll be back in September. Let's jump into the conversation. I'm Brene Brown. Welcome back to Unlocking Us. I'm Barry Guillen. I'm Ashley Brown Ruiz. All right. Part two, Atlas of the Heart questions. People have written in around the book and the HBO Max series. Mm -hmm. Should we just jump in? Let's do it. Okay, question number one is from Angie. Let's listen. I binge-watched the series and counted down the days. I was not disappointed. And it resonated the most with the part about sarcasm with our children. Ouch. And thank you. <laughs> My question when watching the segment about reverence was, I do not believe in church and God. I'm an atheist. How does reverence apply to me? Immediately shut it down or have negative associations because of my religious upbringing. I've heard this is an incredibly important piece to connection and know you've spoken on it too for wholeheartedness. But the story I tell myself is this isn't applicable to me. I need to fix it and I can't live a wholehearted life and full life without this reverence or spiritual peace. Thank you, Brene. Angie from Park City, Utah. Wow, this is, this is a big question. It is. Mm Mm-hmm. 
The story I tell myself is this isn't applicable to me. I need to fix it. I can't live a wholehearted and full life without the reverence and spirituality piece. So let me break those down because I think they're two separate things, right? So reverence is an emotion where we want to get closer to something that we feel like is powerful and inspires us and we want to move as close to it as we can. In the HBO Max series, I talk really, we, I mean, the audience, we had to cut some of that. It was like an hour and a half conversation about yeah. reverence, loaded word, because a lot of us were taught to be reverent, which meant don't challenge authority and don't ask questions. And so I'm not a big fan of reverence. The only reverence I really have is for nature. I have reverence oh, for yeah. the earth. Yeah. For people, I don't revere people. But do y'all revere people? I don't know if I revere people, but I revere moments. Yes, I revere moments. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't have reverence for people anymore. I think I did growing up. I think I did. And then I think when I skipped church for 20 years and then when (laughs) Ellen got to the age where she's like, what is happening? And so let's go to church and then you can make your own decision. But I remember leaving the Catholic church and going to the Episcopal church. I was, and going to the cathedral, especially there's very, there's a lot of reverence, a lot of tradition, a lot of bowing when the priest comes down. And I I struggled with some of that. I like my clergy vulnerable, not venerable, (laughs) so to speak. And they like you that way as well. (laughs) (laughs) So, even the clergy who I respect, I would not say I revere, but I do have moments of spiritual reverence that are very personal to me, but I'm always going to be like at a lake or an ocean or something. Yeah. It's going to be nature. So I think the only thing I really revere, I think wholeheartedness is reverence optional. <laughs> <laughs> the spiritual piece, I think that's an interesting question. Do you have to be... Angie says, I don't believe in church. I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. I think the research, at least when we were doing the early research on wholeheartedness, spirituality did emerge as a variable of wholeheartedness. But that was in interviews that included agnostic people. Remember, atheist? I mean, we sampled across all kinds of belief systems, including no belief systems. And I think it's more about how I ended up defining it first in the gifts and then now that definition of spirituality has withstood the test of new data over 10, 15 years, which is the deeply held belief that we as humans are inextricably connected to each other by something greater than us. For some people, that's God. But for some people, that's fishing. For some people, that's love. For some people, that's nature. For some people, that's just human spirit and connection. And so to say that spirituality is a prerequisite for wholeheartedness, I would just always caution, read how I define that, which is, again, the belief that we are inextricably connected to each other. I do think that is a prerequisite for wholeheartedness, that my liberation is always and forever will be bound to your liberation as a person. And that while there are people suffering, none of us are really free. Yeah. I do think that's a part of wholeheartedness. I agree. Me too. Yeah. And so a great question. I hope it clarified it for you. Such an important question, a brave question. I loved it. Thank you, Angie. Yes. All right. Let's go to Roz, who has a question for us. 
Hi, this is Rob calling from San Francisco, California, and my question is about nostalgia. Uh, what is the difference between missing something and nostalgia? So for a little context and as an example, when I was watching the HBO specials, my takeaway was that nostalgia can result in remembering only the good times about something, but that can be a little bit dangerous when we try to get back to something that was maybe hurting ourselves or others and was not really the way we remembered it in our nostalgic state. So how do I acknowledge good times while also being honest about the bad? I had to cut off ties with um, some people in my life uh, to be okay and to protect myself from a dysfunctional and abusive relationship. But I still have incredible sadness, and I miss some of the good times that I remember. So I know the bad was there, and I will never go back, but I still feel nostalgic about it. How do I reconcile this? Wow, what a hard question. Yeah. And very relatable. I relate to this question. Do y'all? Yeah. Yes. I know the bad was still there and I can never go back. But I still feel nostalgic about it. How do I reconcile this? I think the first question is the difference between missing something and being nostalgic for it. And I don't know that I can really clarify the difference. I mean, I think nostalgia is the way that we use that word is primarily around positive things. When we're nostalgic for something, there's an embrace of warmness about something that we've experienced before. We're nostalgic. We're taken back to a time that meant something to us. I don't know really how it's different than missing something. Although I do think, I really loved how in the HBO special, we brought Dr. Stephanie Coons in, who's a historian and studies nostalgia. And I love how she talked about some of the new research on nostalgia. Nostalgia can be dangerous and it can be definitely a dog whistle for scary politics. Hey, Mm -hmm. y'all remember when life was like this, where everyone knew their place and, you know, dangerous, dangerous. But I think it's the difference between remembering and feeling some energy around it versus ruminating. Yeah. And I think rumination is the dangerous part of nostalgia. I think ruminating and being nostalgic is the make America great again. You know, if there were just fewer immigrants, if there were just fewer people of color trying to get a piece of the pie, if their women knew their place, if, you know, that can create a rumination because it really leverages a displacement pain that feel people feel. And so I think nostalgia and missing something can be different. I think there's a context in nostalgia that's about time and place. I think missing is more pointed. I miss something specific. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is being nostalgic about a feeling and missing something is about something very specific? Nostalgia is an affect, an emotion. I feel nostalgic. I miss something. You know, you can almost get into grief there. I wonder if for some people, when they start to go into nostalgia and they start to remember great things, if there hasn't been a lot of grief work done around the hard things that happen, 
if they're able to separate the two. I remember asking you a lot of questions about us growing up, like, how did y'all think it was funny that y'all would like, when we were really little babies, I think we were toddlers and there was a plastic pool in the backyard and our bathing suits had fallen down and our little hindies were showing. Yeah. And I was like, how did y'all think that was funny to pull our bathing suit bottoms down and take a picture of it? And you're like, that's weird that that's how you remember it because that's not how it happened. But for me, I had a really hard time separating. I needed to grieve and let go of some of the things or work through some of the things in order to really allow myself to remember good things. Oh, God, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a great example. I appreciate your courage to share it because y'all would get in that pool (laughs) with your diapers on and those diapers would weigh 700 pounds. And then you were so fast, both of you, and you would split direction. It was almost (laughs) choreographed. So there was no way we could catch both of y'all. And then so your diapers would be around your knees, (laughs) but it would be so cute because y'all be running. As soon as we get you and I get you still, you jump right back in the pool. And so I don't think anyone would have ever let anyone pull down your diaper than take a picture. And so I do think yeah, you're impossible to catch. Um, <laughs> Still are. <laughs> no. I think really what you're saying is that, you know, memories are not facts. Yeah. Which is really hard. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of grief, and I think missing something is around grief. Nostalgia is a feeling of a time of before. Yeah, because I think what I was saying is, are you nostalgic for a way you used to feel about something And you very specifically miss. When you're nostalgic, are you remembering a way of being? Yes, because when you're- First, I miss my dog or I miss my- No, nostalgia is, I think nostalgia is very much a feeling about a feeling. Yeah. I don't know that it's just that though, because it's a feeling, can also be a feeling about a concept. Now we say, remember when we were like, we'd wake up at six o'clock in the morning for swim team practice. Our moms would get us 50 cents for a Frito pie and we'd have to be back (laughs) by dinner. I don't remember what that felt like. I was just nostalgic for freedom, for that freedom that I never, can you imagine our kids leaving at six o'clock in the morning, riding their bikes out of sight to swim team practice and not seeing them till seven o'clock that night? Mm -mm. No. Nope. Just a sunburn alert that we would be under, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So it's nostalgia (laughs) for, it's more conceptual. I think you were really onto something, Barrett. It's conceptual. We miss a concept. We miss a feeling. We miss the ability to access something. Yeah. That ties back to the way things used to be. Whether they were really like that or they were spit shine, you know, I don't know. But I think missing something is grief. And so this question, you really got us with this question. I know the bad was there. I can never go back, but I still feel nostalgic about it. Like, I still feel nostalgic for times where there was a lot of hard shit going on too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, me too. And I think you have to ask yourself, what is the feeling, to Barrett's point? What is that feeling? And then to Ashley's, that I'm nostalgic for. Mm-hmm. And then to Ashley's point, what is the work I need to do? That allows me to separate kind of what is that feeling versus what is the real grief stuff that I need to figure out yeah. and talk about. It's a hard question. I am. Good Ooh. question. Yeah. So let's go and we've got a question from Dawn C. Let's listen to Dawn. 
Hey, Brene. It's Dawn calling from beautiful, sunny BC, Canada. And my question about Atlas of the Heart is this. My partner is on the autism spectrum, as is his youngest son. So is there a different perspective which should be considered for applying the concepts from Atlas of the Heart to our neurodiverse relationships? And how do we have a conversation about wholeheartedness with loved ones whose brains relate to the world in a different way from ours? Thank you so much. God, this is such a good question about neurodiversity. And I think as the term implies, neurodiversity is not a monolith. I mean, there is so much that falls into the bucket of neurodiversity that I don't know how to answer that. The only thing I know that we can do is to engage in conversation, to read something together or to watch something together. And what do you think? What resonates? What doesn't make sense? It's one of those things too that I know that at least in collecting the data that we had neurodiverse research participants, but we also had participants who would say, I don't have a neurodiversity label, but I have no understanding and no fluency in emotion at all. And so just like I don't think there's one way to talk about emotions with someone who is neurodiverse, I don't think we can make any assumptions about people who are not. Yeah. I think this, all of this happens in connection with curiosity, a lot of space, and just asking. I mean, Ash, I'm curious about what you think. No, I think the same thing. I mean, I don't know how you could answer the question because so many different things fall in that bucket. But I do love the idea of just connecting, staying curious, asking questions like, yeah, I love the idea, too, of watching a show together or something because parents, caregivers, people that are in it together know what shows to watch or yeah. what they can do, right. or, you know? And so staying curious, being in conversation, asking questions. Yeah. How do you feel? What was that like? Have you ever seen this happen at your school? Yeah. Stuff like that. Does this resonate for you? If yeah. not, why? Yeah. What makes sense about this? What doesn't make sense what about it? What do you it? want to learn more about? Yeah. What are you curious about? Yeah. It was really interesting. My BFF, Eleanor, from elementary school, uh-huh. Holy Name of Jesus in New Orleans. Shout, shout out. out. <laughs> shout out to my elementary school. She and... Her husband, Dave, and their three kids who are all grown, one's in college, the other two have graduated and off living independently. They did a 10-week, every Sunday, 90-minute Atlas read. That's so cool. So awesome. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Just to say what fit for you, what didn't fit for you, what did you learn? Isn't that cool? Yeah. We're watching the HBO Max show as a family. We couldn't. <laughs> Why? They can't get past bittersweet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's episode four, but she just watches stuff faster than I do, and she gets frustrated because I'm not on the same schedule as her. Oh, oh, yeah. That's the binge generation. That's, yeah. 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 We barely can get through any shows together. Yeah, no. I I could watch it with her. Maybe. Yeah, because I'm like, have you seen Bridgerton 2? Seen Bridgerton 2. It came out yesterday. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Okay. And so... Okay, let's listen to Amy. Amy's got a question for us. 
Hi, Renee. I'm Amy from Des Moines, Iowa, and I am a parent of three, ages 10, 8, and 6, as well as a middle school teacher, and I would love to know your recommendations for making this resource accessible to kids. Really, what is the best way to help kids be able to recognize their emotions and name them? This book is seriously a textbook for life, and the sooner we can help kids develop the ability to understand emotions, the better humans they'll be. Thank you so much. I got to tell you, Amy, I love this question. And there are so many great SEL, social emotional learning curricula for kids that are your kids' ages for middle school. Usually it's K through eight where I've seen most of them. I haven't seen a ton in high school, but I would really encourage you to check out Mark Brackett, the Yale Center for Emotion Studies. They have a lot of resources for social emotional learning for kids. I don't know that we're going to do anything with Atlas. I don't know that we're not. A lot of people have said, can you do a kid's book? Can you? I just think that that's, I don't know that that would be my strength. I think there are a lot of people that do that better than me. And so. I do think though, what Ashley was saying earlier, just about even asking questions about, I know for me, when my daughter comes home and she's like, this happened at school today. I try to wrap language around it. So she then the next time can have the language to use. There are a lot of great examples that show up in middle school. Oh, God, you yes. Can oh, middle school. Middle we could school. still talk about yes. middle school. Also, when Barrett and I interviewed you, when Atlas first came out, we mm-hmm. talked a lot about this, too, about working with kids and just asking questions and doing book reads together or naming emotions. And I think you even shared a story about the dinner table But I remember talking a lot about this during that interview. Yeah, and I think some of the best places for kids to learn emotions and be able to label them, name them, regulate them is fiction. Mm, Oh my God. Yeah, even as good as nonfiction, if not better sometimes because they're swept into story. What do you think this person is feeling? Yeah. Why do you think they're feeling that way? Where do you think those feelings come from? You know, if you think about feelings as biology, biography, behavior, and backstory, then you can take any fictional character and say, okay, what's going on here? What's the backstory? What's happening right now? What's the biology? What are they talking about feeling in their body? How are they moving around? What are they saying they're feeling? What behaviors are showing up? And then biography, what do we know about this character's family? And about do you think it was okay to talk about that? Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, I know. And I think we just interviewed Domi Shi. <gasps> on the podcast. Oh, yes. <laughs> if you haven't seen Turning Red, 
What an amazing place oh, to start. Oh, God, yeah, Inside Out, Turning Red. Yes. Yes, Turning Red. I haven't oh. seen it yet. What? What? I'm slower to the TV, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's a great one. It, it does a lot of explaining for you, but it opens up the door to have some really meaningful conversations. Oh, God, yeah, it was so good. It's so good. It's great. All right, I'll watch it. Okay, last question. Let's go to Keith. Hi, I'm Keith Cron from Providence, Rhode Island. I so appreciated listening to Bittersweet. And I listened to Atlas of the Heart about how we feel more than one emotion at the same time. It made me think of a wonderful TED Talk from Chimamanda Adichie where she talks about the danger of a single story. I'm wondering, how do we encourage ourselves and others to talk about the reality that rarely are we feeling just one thing? And instead a more real and nuanced approach to all the things that we feel at the same time. Like I remember when my dad died, feeling relief that his pain had ended, sadness that my mom was alone for the first time, appreciation for my dad's fight throughout his life and his struggles, and my own grief around the loss of our relationship. What harm happens when we ask, how are you feeling? And we expect an answer of a single story. Again, this is Keith from Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah, I think this is such a great question. It reminds me of the two-word check-in because we always say two words and people are always like (gasps) excited and overwhelmed. (laughs) Yeah. I think emotions are complex. And if y'all have not seen the TED Talk, The Danger of a Single Story. It's so good. It's incredible. We've talked about this a couple of times. This is one of the biggest questions I think that came up. I think we're always feeling a swirl of feelings, but I think there are driver feelings and fears Mm -hmm. that we have to attend to. And so I think it is about unpacking what's driving the swirl, what's kind of that base thing. And when you ask people, what are you feeling? I don't think you very often, even my therapist, when my therapist says, what are you feeling? You know, last time I talked to her, she's like, what are you feeling? I said, I'm feeling like, fuck you. She goes, okay, I got that, but that's not a feeling. I'm like, it is in my house. That's a big feeling in my house. She's no, it's not a feeling. And I was like, it's not an atlas, but it is still a feeling. (laughs) Put it in your next And what's your go-to? I think a lot of us have go-to feelings. So I think when you're unpacking it, I wonder if sometimes we... I will speak for myself. There you go. Yeah, here we go. There we go. This is a movement here, people. Progress. Can often find myself in the same place, disguised, sometimes disguised as other things, other emotions, but the root is often the same. And it is for you? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What is it? She's asking. Oh, I know that's a different podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Mine's usually, yeah, I usually have a swirl of emotions. The ones that present first are anger and blame sometimes and... Yeah, anger and blame and the need for control. And then my second layer is often fear. And then my layer under that is sometimes if there's one underneath that, it can be grief or not belonging. Damn. Yeah, I do this work all the effing time with my therapist. No, I mean, yeah, I'm just saying when you were naming them, those seem to be, I wonder... I'm surprised how similar mine feel to yours. Really? Yeah. I mean, I come off as anger, blame, F you. (laughs) And I do think you go to the core and it's about belonging, not feeling connected. Yeah. Grief. Yeah. Yeah. 
Same. <laughs> Paris is looking at us like, okay. No, I think I can show up the same. I think it starts a lot as resentment for me. It's an indicator for me, I think, the resentment yeah. piece. And I think when it comes down to it, I think just feeling alone in things is probably my, in the middle of my onion. Yeah, I felt really alone about something. And I remember Diana, my therapist, peeling and peeling and peeling. And she's like, so under all that, is it abandonment? Which are y'all trained that that's a go-to one? <laughs> it's common. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It can be common. Start with abandonment, everyone, and then go from yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> so do y'all go alphabetically usually or what's the scam? No. <laughs> no, I mean, I think even before you get there, you get to belonging. You get to, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Yeah. And I think it was like, no, I don't feel abandoned. I feel... Oh, no, what it, I think it was the opposite way. I think it was, do you feel like you don't belong? Yes. And I said, no. And then we got to, like, I feel abandoned, like left alone to deal with stuff, this. And then I was like, wow, that is straight out of a movie. That was a big one. And then the worst thing is when you talk about, Keith is saying all of these single stories, like I have a single story where like, I'll handle it alone. I mean, yes or no? Yeah. That, <laughs> they're looking at each other like, do we say yes or no? <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. And so I do think this is an interesting question that we keep getting a lot of. There is a danger to a single story, but there's also a danger to not untangling and unraveling the swirl to get to a big driver that's core to us. Yeah. I like, too, how Keith gets questions about how are you feeling, but there's so many different yeah. parts to it to be able to say about which part. <laughs> you know what I mean? Amen. I mean, yeah. this, this is the whole thing because, I mean, if you've never had someone that was sick who died or you've done caregiving for someone who died and you didn't feel any relief, I don't, I don't know what that is because yeah. most of us feel relief, you know? Yeah. And so I think the answer is the meaningful connection to allow space for, and I'm feeling a whole bunch of things. Thanks for asking, Ashley. I feel relieved. I feel guilty for feeling relieved. I feel sad. I feel pissed off about having to go through the house. Yeah. So I'm just a swirl of things right now. And then someone to say, yeah, I get that. I get everything from the relief to the grief I get and everything in between. Yeah. What does help look like right now? Yeah. Yeah. And... This is what's tricky is I think about the work I've done at Pixar and I think about the work I've done around storytelling. Single stories have a hundred different emotions in them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they do. And if you're looking for a single story with a single emotion, that's not a good story. Yeah. That could be like our childhood. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just a single story with a single emotion is not a good story. Mm -mm. You need to have... Everything from awe and wonder to anguish and confusion. Yeah. And if you have a single story with a single emotion, you need to check that because it's not true. Yeah, usually (laughs) not true. I was going to say, I can't even think of a scenario where I have just one emotion. Because I was like, maybe driving, (laughs) like rage. Talking to Barrett on our way home from work is like really not fun sometimes. Are you a bad driver? Oh, I'm a great driver. It's the other people. No, I didn't say, are you a bad driver? Are you a mad driver? Oh, I thought you, oh. 
I can't, I, you know what? You're the same. So let's just start there. I just don't drive yeah. as much as you do. So. That's right. Because <laughs> I live so close. <laughs> I put myself in the bubble of sanctuary. No, you don't. <laughs> no? No. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. We just ran home for lunch. Do you remember what happened when that gentleman didn't let you over? <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck you, dude. You want to do this? You want to do this? Let me show you how this is going to work. She says that a lot. You want to do this? You want to dance? She's like, oh, look at who's in the turn lane now. (laughs) Bubble of serenity. All right, this is unlocking us. I'm signing off. (laughs) You can try to throw me under the bus, but here we are all together under the bus. (laughs) I'm just lovely. I'm passing the bus. Okay, Thank y'all for being biggest narcs in the whole world. <laughs> we got you. Yeah. You got my Anytime number. Anytime you'd like to have us back, we'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> Phone call away. 867530. Jenny, Jenny. Yeah, we have to pay like $7,000 in copyright. Bill Ashley. Oh, right. but listen, I think that we should say we've come a long way since the first time we've been on the mic, and Ashley doesn't sing at all really anymore. So it's sad. I'm going to have to look through Atlas to find exactly how I'm feeling about it. Let's do a two-word checkout. Okay. Tired and hopeful. Connected and overwhelmed. I'm grateful and tired. Nice. Y'all say awkward, brave, and kind. Bye. 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 Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, I warned y'all, hard questions, great questions. We're so appreciative of them. I would say summer, but you know what? It's not summer for everyone that listens. So y'all have a great June, July, and August. I'll be back in probably mid-September, sometime in September. Take good care of yourselves and of each other. Stay awkward, brave, and kind. Unlocking Us is produced by Brene Brown Education and Research Group. The music is by Carrie Rodriguez and Gina Chavez. Get new episodes as soon as they're published by following Unlocking Us on your favorite podcast app. We are part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more award-winning shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.